How do you change that self-image? Well, we brought you to ground zero. Now let's look at some specific steps that we can, uh, can take. Folks, there is your intro to today's show. We're listening to Zig Ziglar on stage giving a classic, profound message. And I'll start you off by stating that most of humanity believes their self-image is based on their performance and what others say about them and testify to. Zig's belief, however, is you determine and decide your self-image And then you will act in the appropriate way to achieve the performances that will testify to your true, incredible self-image. So let's do this. You're what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today is a brand new day, and it's yours. Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Miller, proud host of The Ziggler Show, and we are here to inspire your true performance. If you aren't truly inspired and motivated, equipped with a confident, faithful self-image, hope, and a tangible goal, you are spinning your wheels, which is why you're here listening to The Ziggler Show. So let's give you the true fuel you need to literally succeed. This is 10 minutes of Zig, then we're going to hone in on some of the key points that he gives us. So, welcome, Zig Ziglar. How do you change that self-image? Well, we brought you to ground zero. Now let's look at some specific steps that we can uh, can take. And Eleanor Roosevelt said this many years ago: that no one on earth can make you feel inferior without your permission. Nobody. And what you need to do is promise yourself, as you've gone through this entire series with all of the things we've been covering, promise yourself that never again will you permit anybody else to make you feel less about yourself. I cannot say that strongly enough. It is important. I I love the service little guy whose uh, self-image was pretty intact. Uh, The teacher uh, had required that they uh, tell him in class after the weekend some exciting event that took place over the weekend. Well, he called on little Johnny first and said, Johnny, what happened to you this weekend? He said, oh, teacher, it was wonderful. My dad took me fishing and we caught 75 catfish and each one of them weighed 75 pounds. The teacher said, now, Johnny... You know that could not possibly be true. He said, oh, yes, it is. Now, Johnny, I know that that cannot be the truth. Why, what would you think of me if I said to you that on the way to school this morning, I was confronted by a 1,000-pound grizzly bear, and he was just about to jump on me and eat me up, and this little bitty dog weighed about three pounds, came up, and he jumped up and grabbed the grizzly bear by the nose, threw it down, and shook him until it killed him. Now, Johnny, what would you think about that? Would you believe it? He said, yes, ma'am, I sure would. He said, as a matter of fact, that is my dog. (laughs) I would say, ladies and gentlemen... 
that his self-image was okay. How does your image affect your performance? And how does the way you see other people affect their performance? When our daughter Julie was in the fifth grade, the teacher came to us and said, Julie is an average student. She'll make C's primarily. She'll make an occasional B and an occasional D. But don't worry about it. She's very personable. She makes a lot of friends. But don't be too hard on her if she's not a top performer. We never told our little girl she was a C student. The teacher never told our little girl that she was a C student. But as I will share in the next seminar about the fact that you treat people exactly like you see them, I'm certain in a thousand different ways we communicated to Julie, we expect a C performance out of you. Three years ago, after having been out of school for something like 17 years, she went back to school. Her first semester, she carried 16 very tough hours, including two very difficult labs. She made the dean's list. She came within a whisper of a 4.0. I never forget one night I called over to the house to talk to either her or her husband, Jim Norman, who's the CEO of our company. And I said, let me speak to Julie after we had chatted. And he said, she started laughing. I said, what you laughing about? He said, Julie's next door teaching Diane the advanced math. Let me tell you why he was laughing about that. Because all of her life, or the first portion of her life, she had had that old refrain 17,000 times. Well, you know, I just can't learn math. 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 And here she was over there teaching advanced math to one of the neighbors. Now, what had happened? Well, she explained it to me. She said, Dad, I discovered that knowledge reveals itself to anyone who diligently pursues it. She said, I had never really mastered the formulas. And she said, when I learned those formulas, hey, math is a snap. It is easy. Now, let's explore for a moment and see, is that an unusual story? How many of you in this audience today, 10 or more years after you got out of your formal education, decided you're going to go back and get more? Education. Can I see your hands, please? Hold them real high and everybody look around. Look at all of the hands that are up, the numbers of hands. Okay, now, how many of you, when you went back, did better and in some cases substantially better than you'd done uh, when you'd been in school the first time? Can I see your hands, please? Now, I can't obviously see every hand, but it seems that virtually every one of them is up again. Let me tell you why you did. You planned to do better. You prepared to do better. You expected to do better. And you went back at your own expense. (laughs) It's called commitment. Let me tell you something else. You had learned over the years that you were a bright, productive person. That picture you had of yourself and your very ambition to go back really said an awful lot about you. When the image changes, the performance absolutely is going to change. In the L.A. Times about three years ago, they ran a substantial article of a study done of people who are enormously successful. And at one stage of their life, they made a deliberate choice to associate with a different crowd. How many of you had a mama or a daddy 
who ever told uh, you or told uh, somebody else, particularly if a child got in trouble, and the excuse they use is, well, he just got mixed up in the wrong crowd. How many of you have ever heard uh, that particular one? Now, hold him up real high. I bet every one of us, he got mixed up in the wrong crowd, all right? Then apparently you believe that the crowd has something to do with what you do in life, and it affects other people. Well, now, we've got an entirely different crowd today. And the crowd that is influencing people is better known as an income suppressant. Some people refer to it directly as television. Now, think about the crowds you run with when you look at television. Murders, drive-by shootings, violence, rapist, racist, sexist. You see absolutely everything there. And when you associate with those people and when mom and dad sit there and watch it with them, they're tacitly saying it's okay to cuss. It's okay to be violent. It's okay to get drunk. It's okay to do this. When you see those things and they actually encourage participation by watching it, that's what I'm talking about. Now, the tragedy is television could be so enormously helpful. They dramatize things and could make it so powerful and beneficial. Watch the people you associate with. Watch what goes in your mind. It affects your thinking. Your thinking affects your performance. Your performance affects that image back. It's a, it's a bouncing off the wall type thing. To improve your image, improve your memory. Now, you know, how many times have you bragged about having a lousy memory? Can I see your hands, please? I mean, you know, I can do this and I can do that. Oh, I remember names, but I forget faces. How many of you ever said that? Now, if you were listening to me, you did not uh, say that. What you said was, oh, I can remember faces, but I cannot remember names. And when you repeat that over and over and over, it's like my daughter Julie on her mask. It becomes a reality. Let me tell you, and I don't uh, necessarily believe everybody needs to know how to remember 300 people right after they met them, but let me give you a little story. We teach a three-day seminar called Born to Win. People do come from all over the world. Several years ago, we were doing a portion of memory in that uh, seminar. A fellow named Dan Clark and his wife Kelly from Salt Lake City attended He was the All-American football player, big defensive end, good-looking guy, outstanding speaker. She was the beauty queen, absolutely a gorgeous, wonderfully personable, sweet individual. There's a match. You say, hey, now those two really do go together. We had a hundred people there. And the memory teacher that day was giving out points, two points, if they got the first and last name of every person there. Well, in the test, little test that followed, Kelly was number one. She only missed one out of a possible 200. We give a little awards. And so when Kelly stepped up to receive her award, she broke down and wept. She said, all of my life, I thought I was dumb. And she said, I just learned in the last hour and a half that I'm a very bright person. Now, this has a double point. 
There are a lot of good memory books and techniques that you can learn. It will improve your image. It gives you an added confidence. But what I'm really talking about is growth. Every time you take a step forward, every time you learn something of value that does have a tendency to improve that picture, you need to keep growing. Terry Bradshaw says, the life of a winner is the result of an unswerving commitment to a never-ending process of self-completion. All right. Well, as always, profound messages from Zig. Let's talk about a few of the key points that he gives us. He starts off with a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt, nobody can make you feel inferior without your permission. And folks, that's a big statement, a big understanding uh, and, and just perspective. I mean, many of us have had people in our lives who maybe have criticized us or badmouthed us or accused us. And in some cases, we know they were right. We did mess up. Uh, we did not come through. We did let someone down. We did fail. Uh, and we were called out on it and we agreed with that. But are we inferior Do those folks who, in a, you know, who positively or negatively, rightly or wrongly called us out or, or, or labeled us, do they not also mess up and not come through, let others down, fail? I mean, of course they do. So even if we can accept a, yeah, you know, I did that, that's true, but it's not who I am and it doesn't make me less than you or anyone else. I mean, we can have regrets, at least I believe in regrets, but the, the even the, even the regrets that are, uh, we grow from them, we're strengthened by them. They are redeemed still doesn't mean it wasn't a regret, but the biggest regret would be letting those regrets convince us that uh, we are less, we are minimized, we are inferior. One of Zig's favorite quotes is, failure is an event, it is not a person. Uh, Listening to the last show, folks, number 426 with Roy H. Williams, he tells us about the blind spot of talented people, which is often feeling like an imposter. And a big focal point is not necessarily thinking that he, that he gave us was not thinking more of ourselves to combat that, but just not thinking so much of others. And and I want to look at another point here that there are many of us who maybe didn't have others, people that made us feel inferior. We make ourselves inferior for a multitude of reasons that I'm not going to dissect here and now. But, but many reasons that some have viability, some that do not. And it doesn't really matter. There's, there's no truthful reason we should feel inferior to others. It's an affront to, to God. It's not to be arrogant on the other side or tear others down to, to our level of, if we feel minimized, but just to realize our value. And again, as Roy H. Williams talks about, to realize that anybody who may have called us out, made us feel inferior to whether, again, they, they meant well or not, uh, they also are human. They also have failings. You can just as rightly call them out on their weaknesses and failures and challenges. But what have we let make ourselves feel inferior? Zig says, don't let anyone else make you feel less about yourself. So I would say in that your parents, your spouse, your boss, manager, coworker, a friend or a relative, they're being wrong if they are feeling less about yourself. There are ways to discuss 
a constructive criticism or a hurtful thing that somebody has done to you, but to make them feel less is wrong. We wouldn't let somebody do that to our children. I don't think I wouldn't hope so. Um, there's never an okay reason to make anyone feel less about themselves. It's wrong. And it's a, it's a crime, I think. And we shouldn't agree with those criminals. If I can exaggerate the point a bit there and even agree with ourselves. Often we are the criminal. That's been the case for myself. That's been something I've talked about that on shows before that I was, I was fortunate to get a lot of encouragement, a lot of support from my friends, from my family, most of my life. But I set my own uh, expectations so high that I often did not live up to them and I minimized myself. And that is not helpful at all. We're going to talk about that a bit more in just a second. Uh, Zig says, how does your image affect your performance and how does the way you see other people affect their performance? I think sometimes that we think that we're protecting people by not letting them get their hopes up high so they might end up disappointed. I think we have that happen to us, well-meaning people, obviously often family that will kind of, you know, bring us down off of our high hopes because they think that they are helping us. It's interesting though, when we really take that in context and I have to admit my perspective is often as a father, I'm a father to, to many kids. And with that, to think about that, conceptualize this issue that Zig talks about us uh, or or is telling us here about self-image. So if I'm, let's say, talking to a kid, for instance, do I protect them from a possible disappointment when they have their hopes up high by minimizing the very essence of who they are and more so what they might become, who they might become? It's a big deal. So again, back to what Zig said, how does your image affect your performance how does the way you see other people affect their performance? I mean, it's a big deal. How does your image affect your performance? I mean, and of course, the the response to that is hugely. It's everything. It's why we have. So I, I live here in Colorado, uh, not too far from the Olympic Training Center, where some of our greatest athletes come from, and. Talk about self-image. You would think, oh my gosh, they're elite athletes. Their self-image is great. The top ones spend so much attention on dealing with their own self-image, dealing with their own confidence because they know a single momentary flash of a doubt on the starting line may be the difference between the gold medal and the bronze medal or not meddling. It's a, it's everything. So their self-image affects their performance at that top level. How much more so do us in what we would say the civilian life, our image, we just accept it. We just get up. We don't give much thought to it naturally to our self-image, how we're viewing ourselves today. And we go about doing what we expect ourselves to do. And Zig is crying for us to expect more from ourselves to not be arrogant, not be narcissistic, but to see the value in ourselves, to believe more from ourselves so that we can do more and achieve the height of performance that Zig believes so many people could, that we all could in in a sense. And now again, just a call out to his next statement. How does the way you see other people affect their performance? I would just caution all of us to be aware of that and think about how are we portraying others value and self and an image to them. It does affect their performance. We see that of course, blatantly with our children, how, what we expect uh, of them. 
and uh, our spouses, our coworkers, our employees, whatever your place and role is in life, if we realize that some significant portion of their performance is going to be based on our vision of them, what we portray uh, of our own value and expectations of them will affect their performance. So if we want the best out of them, we should expect the best, encourage them in the best and call them to more in a positive, loving way. Well, next Zig talked about the aspect of going back to school for those who went back to school a decade or more later, he asked folks in the crowd, how many of you did significantly better than you did your first round of school? And of course the majority who said that they did go back to school a decade or more later, raised their hand also that yes, they did do much better. And he says, well, of course, cause you planned, you prepared, you expected to do better. And, and jokingly, but truthfully, you went at your own expense. So you were committed is what he said. And you were more invested. You had more time, more money, now more purpose. So you did better. Your IQ is probably still the same. Basic abilities may be the same. I think in really drilling down in that you had more pressures of life to deal with in going, when you went back to school. So you would have a, an excuse that you couldn't devote all your time. Right now I have two kids in college full time. That's all they are doing. They are in college. And my wife at the age of 45, I think when she started, just completed her, uh, her master's degree and her, her, uh, her scores, her uh, grades were exemplary. And you would think, oh my gosh, here's a lady with, um, uh, you know, seven kids at home that she's taken care of. We are taking care of, but that she is dealing with school, uh, schedules and, you know, grocery shopping and cooking and the home and so much that we deal with together. And yet she got better grades. She had commitment. That investment was worth so much more. So in the wee hours of the night, in the small amount of time she had to devote to it, she was focused. She was on task. Uh, so Zig's message here, very poignant to what I just saw uh, with it. So if we can look at that as an analogy of, are we planned? Are we prepared? Do we expect to do better? Are we invested? Are we committed? Are we purposeful with whatever endeavor achievement we have in front of us? Even if it's the day-to-day grind, do we want more? If so, that's what he's calling us to. That's his point here. Are we committed to it, to getting the best out of ourselves? If so, we need to, again, focus in on our self image. He says, Zig says, when the image changes, the performance is absolutely going to change. So what's the oft stated definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That is insane. So if we want our performance to increase, if we want to be more successful at our job, at our sport, at our hobby, at our relationships, at whatever, then what are we going to change in our self image? so that our performance can change. It's a step-by-step dot-to-dot process, not to simplify and minimize it, but it's some specific actions that we've got to take. If we will, Zig is saying you will receive a better achievement. You will receive that success that you desire. So he then cites the study that successful people, this is again, part of changing that self-image we have of ourselves. Successful people made a deliberate choice to associate with a different 
crowd. And we've often heard that from Zig, other leaders that we are, and you hear it said in different ways, but to some degree, the essence is we're the sum of the you know five people we hang around with most. And he also cites these other oft-quoted cliches that tell us about humanity's perspective of the power of those that we hang out with. Like, well, that person got mixed up in the wrong crowd. And he says, do you believe the crowd has something to do with what you do in your life? I think we all do in essence, if we're asked that, if we really consider it, but we don't often contemplate it. We just wake up with the family that we wake up with. We go to work and who is at our work is at our work. We often did not pick them. Sometimes even with employees, we didn't think about them as to who they are, as to how they will affect and negatively or positively impact our lives. We hired them for a job. So often that was not part even of that effort that we had some control over. So again, our family is just who they are. Our, our uh, coworkers are who they are. The people that we associate with in different social engagements at church, it's just the church we decided to go to, uh, whatever it may be, that's what Zig is talking about here. What is the crowd that's influencing you? And again, for most, it is immediate family, coworkers, friends. And then Zig does go on a soapbox about TV and media, because for a lot of people, we have a culture that, of course, the information age, we're so connected to, to so many people, but it's a shallow connection. We have less intimate relationships on average in today's culture, and we spend far more time on TV and media, often for an entertainment aspect, and we have to question ourselves. That's what he's asking to do us is, is if that's a crowd, if that's a culture that you are interacting with an hour a day on TV or media, two hours a day, four hours a day, whatever it may be, what are they calling you to? What is the influence that they are having on you? Is it positive? Is it negative? So that's the question to ask. Does your family encourage and inspire and call you to greater things? Do your coworkers, do your friends, does the TV or media you choose to engage with? So thinking on this note, it's a big topic folks. I mean, have you ever watched a good movie or a good story, read a good story in a book or been at a seminar or a conference or some social engagement or even just a social visit, but with some people that are of a, a little bit outside of the box of your norm, maybe you have a higher degree of success. They're more achievement driven, more goal oriented, having successes. They're pursuing meaningful things. And when you're with them, you realize that for a bit that you've got a different perspective. You're seeing through different glasses and all of a sudden you see yourself and in your life differently, better, like possibilities seem different and more, uh, more opportunity, more availability, it seem more viable. You just see a different reality, but especially if a, with a movie, I've had this happen with myself. Then you turn around, go do the dishes, turn away to regular life, and you fall right back into normal sight and expectations and, for all sakes and purposes, reality. But what if we can enmesh ourselves in that reality that called us up and actually have and start living a different vision and acting accordingly? I think a lot of people daydream about remaking themselves and believe it could happen. Maybe if they, if they took off and just had a new start somewhere, maybe we're just on their own. Not that they wanted to get rid of family, but if I could just be me and I could have a different, I would be anonymous and start over that I they think I, you know, I could, but in the realities of current life, 
we don't often conceptualize or, or conceive that we could actually become something different, that we could transcend where we are right now. But on this note of crowds, Zig and so many other leaders make big efforts to change their crowds, change or add in. And this is uh, to take a tangible example. It's the magic of health clubs and gyms. You take the average out of shape person who's maybe tried diet plans or weight uh, muscle gaining plans. They've tried to get in shape. They've done a little here, done a little there, or they just wanted to try to do that. If you put them in a gym where they pay their membership and they adjust their schedule so that they actually show up, they take a class with an instructor or get a personal trainer maybe, and they see these people, they're all of a sudden embracing and totally enmeshed in this group of people who have a different desire, different goals. They are desiring to be healthy, well, fit. And they're seeing people of all shapes and sizes, beginners and experts, and they're amongst this crowd, their reality and expectation increases. They're amongst it every day or three days a week. And it's just an expectation that you are going to lose weight. You are going to do the exercises. You are going to show up. You are going to put in an effort. That's the power of those health clubs and gyms. And I know because I've done that and I've also had, I actually have a home gym and I've gotten to the point where I can motivate myself to do it at home. Uh, but I didn't start off there. And I think for most people, it's just, it's easier. It's more convenient. And again, it gets you around those people and your expectation increases the image you have of yourself. Your reality has changed simply by giving yourself another environment and in this sense, surrounding yourself with a different crowd. So I got to tell you, I experienced this recently. I was invited to a uh, social group of some high profile leaders in the city that I, that I live near. And it's actually a private wine club hosted by a money management firm. And a lot of the folks there are clients there. Now I'm admittedly fond of, of great wine, but I did this, I made this investment in these uh, wines solely to go and be amongst these people because I knew it would help raise my own expectations of myself and my achievements. I didn't even go looking to make connections and friends. I have great friends. I have strong connections of, of incredibly successful people, but these are people in my area and I just wanted to be amongst them. I live up here in a small mountain town and am not often with a lot of social groups, have tight, strong friendships up here from amazing people. But to be in a group like that was different. So I went down the mountain. I spent an evening with them and uh, they enjoyed some wine tasting and, and we got a case of different wines from around the world. But it was more focused on saying, hey, what do you do? Oh, I own this business and, and talking and just being friends and peers amongst people like that. That's what Zig is talking about. We all have the opportunity to be a part of different groups and to be a part of different crowds to raise the expectations of ourselves and the realities of what is possible. I mean, I'd say if you're struggling financially, go hang out with wealthy people. You'll, you'll, you'll see multiple things from them. You'll see that they aren't superhuman. Sometimes you'll be surprised at how regular they are. And it helps you to think, well, heck, not to, not to minimize them, but my gosh, if they can do that, I should be able to. But then you also just hear and see how they live life. And it is different than the norm, different habits, different expectations, and it will raise your expectations. I've seen people do that. And over time, it's rewiring their brain. And they think, gosh, why don't I do that? I should, I'm going to do that. Why don't I desire that? Why don't I allow myself to do that? 
we learn, we apply, and we adapt from the crowds that we put ourselves in. And just a word on this, I think some people hear this type of talking about the people you hang out with, and it's a little threatening to think that, oh my gosh, so I need to just get rid of my current crowds. That's not the point. Now, sometimes we do need to, because there are sometimes when we have negative relationships that are not ever going to help us, we can honor those people in other ways than being with them all the time or being with them a lot. And sometimes we don't need to be with them at all. And that's for you to discern. Uh, But the point is not that you may have fine crowds, but they are not calling you to more. They're not heading, helping lead you and support, encourage you in a direction of success that you want to have. So if that's the case, just add in some other crowds, just add them in, but it'll take that proactive aspect of doing that and doing the work to do that, making the effort, taking a risk. Well, Zig next talks about memory and how often he really uses it just as an example initially of how we often memories, the thing that we often talk about how we're not good at. Oh, I remember names, but not faces or faces, but not names. And his point is that we repeat those things. We tend to repeat those things about ourselves and they become our reality. And then the question from that is why would we state anything self-limiting and program our brains this way. Uh, again, personal story. It made me think of in my own life. My wife has gotten me on this aspect more than once. I mean, I grew up with the label of being impatient because it was true. Nobody meant anything bad by stating the obvious. There's other obvious thing like Kevin likes ice cream. He loves racing his bike. He's good at word games and writing. He's really impatient. He doesn't like waiting on or for things. And that was just true. That was just a statement that was true to who I naturally was. Well, later in life, it would come up from time to time. And I just stated what I knew to be true. Yeah, I know I'm an impatient guy. My wife asked me one time, do you want to be impatient? And initially, folks, I had to admit to myself that, you know what? Yeah, I'm fine with being impatient. I don't understand why people are so slow or they take so long. I don't, I don't want to be patient. I just want things quicker. And I was irritated at the world who often would not comply with my impatience. So then she asked, so, you know, how is that working for your attitude? Well, it actually makes me irritated and frustrated and angry a lot. And so she asked, would you rather than have more patience because you can't change the world and everybody in front of you. And so, you know, I admitted, yes, I would. And then she, so she said, well, then quit telling yourself, labeling yourself as being impatient. Well, that's, that's pretty powerful. I mean, folks, rarely does a week go by where I'm not cognizant of an instance where I'm thinking in my head or saying out loud, as, as, as we're often prone to do as humans, something negative or self-limiting about myself. So it's and this, this aspect that Zig talked about is, I think, more in my mind right now as I have a bunch of kids involved in going after different things, going after whether they're at college and going after degrees and figuring out what they want to do and what they want to pursue, or whether it's kids involved in sports and different competitions, uh, whether it's an athletic competition or a speaking competition or a writing or whatever it is. So uh, literally two days ago, as I'm recording this, four of my younger kids were in cross-country races. I've got a 10-year-old who's battling shin splints, and the week before, he was the only one of the four who did not win their respective races. So his self-image was not at a high point here. So on the starting line, came up to him, said, hey, buddy, just hope you have a good race. You're going you're gonna to do well. And he said, uh, yeah, probably last. You know, just joking with those buddies around him. But I immediately caught his eye, 
And we've talked about this before, and I got that quick expression from him that knowingly said, uh, whoops, yeah, he knows better than that. And I came over to him, whispering his ear, hey, buddy, you know, you just programmed your brain. He said, I know, daddy. Uh, okay, I'm going to have a good race. And he said it with all sincerity. wasn't even really joking. I mean, he knows and understands this. And this is all Zig is calling us to do. The power of what we tell ourselves is tremendous. So what are we telling ourselves? Again, go, go to Zig's statement of, uh, this is in a lot of previous shows. It's a quote you can find online. Thinking positive won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking does. It's kind of the cliche, you are what you eat. Here's Zig saying you are also what you tell yourself you are. I don't think most people, I don't think most of us, me included, that we're aware of all the negative things that we say and think about ourselves. And it's socially condoned and expected, unfortunately. It's the norm. We greet each other that way. Hey, how you doing? And, you know, there's something, oh, man, I, t- I don't seem to have my head screwed on today. Ha, ha, ha. And we laugh about that. Or, hey, you, you did a great job in that project. Oh, yeah, you know, a broken clock is still right twice a day. Ha, ha, ha. It's, it's just, why do we do that? I think it's just human nature that we have to combat. And my wife will sometimes say, if one of our kids, let's take my son, for instance, who's downplaying himself or saying something negative. And so, hey, don't talk about my son that way that she says jokingly, but she means that. Don't sit there and talk bad about yourself. You're my son. I believe in more. I know more of you. And yet again, it's human nature. My littlest kids don't do that. They're confident with themselves. But as we get older, we tend to do that. And it's a social norm to negate ourselves, to negate our abilities, or to say something uh, self-limiting instead of saying, you know what? I think today's a great day and I have some great things that I'm going to do today. I'm going to feel good today. I'm going to think positive. I'm going to encourage others. This is the cry of Zig because he knew the power of it. And yet I know folks to do that makes you a weirdo, but that's, Hey, you know what? Success is weird. It is not the norm, personal success, business success, and inspiring our true performance. It's not the norm. That's why Zig devoted himself to it. Cause he saw for the few that will do it, they achieve powerful things and they end up being the ones that we follow. We listen to, we read, we let guide us. We cannot let ourselves negatively program ourselves. We must proactively, positively program ourselves. Folks, we got an incredible, it was sent to uh, Ziegler headquarters and I think it was Cindy Ziegler Oates, that uh, Zig's daughter, that forwarded it to uh, myself and the rest of the team. And it was a lady just testifying to the change in her life as a result of the Ziegler messages and books. And she actually mentioned, she said a year ago or more when Kevin on the podcast called us, challenged us to go get the self-talk card. She said, I finally did it. I started reading them, reprogramming my mind and the outcome was dramatic. Folks, if you haven't done it, please go there. Ziegler.com slash self-talk. You can get the self-card talk cards there. You can use them verbatim. You can do what I did and customize them for yourself. But the big issue, the big opportunity, the big challenge is printing it out, having it on your smartphone, whatever it is, and actually doing it, going, finding a mirror, standing in front of it, speaking it to ourselves. 
Few people will ever do it. As I talk about this right now, and tens of thousands of people are going to hear this, I don't know that one in a hundred will actually go so far as to take any action on this. Uh, folks, it's humanity. I'm not dissing you. I'm not, because uh, I'm not dissing myself. There's so much knowledge I know will help me that I don't do. But here I am going to give a call out to all of us. Go do it. Zignuity's talking about the testimonies are... Uh, you can't, you can't negate them at all. It's powerful. What we tell ourselves is possibly the most powerful programming we can possibly do for our heads. Well, Hey, lastly, folks in Zig's message, he gives us a word on the power of personal successes and growth. And he actually used, he was talking about the memory and the lady who uh, was the, remember the most people's names in this social engagement. And she was, he was so impacted by how powerful that little thing was, that little win was for her. And so his message in there is we need achievements in our life that transcend mere survival, the grind, taking care of the duties of the day. This is the power of hobbies and sports and creating things. I know a lot of people who have very fulfilling things they do outside of work on nights and weekends because it inspires them the chance to go out in the woodshed and create a piece of furniture they can use or to create some art in a painting, a drawing, to write some music, to play music, to do a sporting event, to run a 5K or run a marathon or to uh, help with a humanitarian project or a mission project and build something or do something or give something or raise money for something to do something there, creating, achieving, pursuing and succeeding in little ways, uh, outside, even outside, if it's outside of your, the norm of your life is seeds of success that we're planting. And so many people, again, don't do that, but you folks listening here, I would say the majority of you do. That's why you're listening to messages like this. It is so powerful folks to have personal successes and growth, the fine areas to do that. Well, Hey, thank you for listening to Zig today, being with me as we just discuss some of these issues. How can we actually take them and break them down into bite-sized pieces that we can chew, digest, and benefit from? Uh, it's powerful stuff, folks. Thank you for being here, for listening to The Ziggler Show, giving us your time. Thanks for walking with me and inspiring together our true performance. Look forward to being with you in the next show. 